Welcome to the Shun HR Policy Podcast. I'm your host, Emily M. Dickens, Shum Chief of Staff, Head of Government Affairs and Corporate Secretary. I'm so proud that my first HR Policy Podcast is going to be with EEOC Commissioner Andrea Lucas. She and the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission help employers build and promote more equitable workplaces for all. As HR professionals who play a key role in delivering on the promise of an equitable and inclusive workplace, we're always grateful for the opportunity to engage with EEOC leadership. The timing of today's conversation is ideal because Commissioner Lucas is going to join us again later in March, along with EEOC Vice Chair Jocelyn Samuels to speak at the Sure Workplace Policy Conference happening on the 27th through 29th here in Washington, D.C. WPC 2022 is an extraordinary opportunity for HR professionals and executives to hear the latest workplace policy updates from decision makers, including the Secretary of Labor, leaders from the EEOC, the National Labor Relations Board, the National Council on Disability, Citizenship and Immigration Services, and more. Please join us in Washington, March 27th to 29th for this event. This will be a time to cause the effect on the workplace policies you want to see and connect with administration officials, members of Congress, and leading policy experts. To register, visit conferences.sherm.org. Now back to today's program. I'm looking forward to this conversation because it's gonna focus on something that has been a discussion for months and really for years, anti-discrimination efforts in the workplace. For our listeners, Commissioner Lucas was confirmed by the Senate in 2020 for a five-year term. Prior to her appointment to the EEOC, she was a member of the Labor and Employment and Litigation Groups of Gibson, Dunn, and Crutcher LLP. She has extensive experience counseling employers. She's also focused extensively on providing COVID-19-related counseling to employers to protect their employees' rights. Commissioner Lucas is particularly interested in outreach, compliance and enforcement initiatives related to protected characteristics that may require employers to grant reasonable accommodations, especially for disability, pregnancy-related disability, and religious grounds. She's the mother of two young daughters and is only the second EEO commissioner to give birth during her tenure on the commission. Commissioner Lucas, thank you so much for your time today. The EEOC is fortunate to have your leadership, and I'm excited to once again sit down and have a conversation with you about your work and the priorities for the year ahead. Thank you, Emily. It's such a delight to be here and to be speaking with you and and to communicate with SHRM's members. Thank you. So here's the first question. I'm going to jump right in. Can you tell me about the hire initiative that was launched in January and what agencies are involved and what the focus of that initiative is? Absolutely. The Hire Initiative stands for a hiring initiative to reimagine equity, and it's a joint initiative of the EEOC and the OFCCP, which is a division of the Department of Labor, um, which focuses on federal contractors, as many of your listeners uh, likely know. So it's a multi-year collaborative effort to expand access to good jobs for all workers, including those from underrepresented communities, and to help address key hiring and recruiting challenges. And our sense is that there's a lot of mutual interest from both employee and management side stakeholders, as well as other relevant stakeholders in exploring, discussing, and receiving guidance on voluntary diversity initiatives. So Hire is going to do a variety of things over the multi-year process. 
We anticipate that we'll host a series of roundtables, meetings, and public forums to hear from a wide array of stakeholders to examine organizational policy and practices around hiring. It's going to seek to identify strategies to remove unnecessary barriers to hiring and promote effective job-related hiring and recruitment practices to cultivate a diverse pool of qualified workers with a goal of identifying practical, actionable strategies that can make meaningful progress while also complying with equal employment opportunity laws. And it'll also examine the use of tech-based hiring systems and propose compliance with an application of long-standing anti-discrimination laws and these more novel employment-related technologies and practices. And finally, we'll hopefully develop resources that'll promote adoption of innovative and evidence-based recruiting and hiring practices that advance equal opportunity for all. Most recently, uh, it was launched around Martin Luther King Day. And uh, the round table, the first round table in the series was titled Building on Dr. King's Legacy, Launch of Hire a Hiring Initiative to Reimagine Equity. And given the timing, uh, the first session was particularly focused on workers from racial and ethnic minorities. We had some great participation from a wide array of stakeholders, including those on plaintiff's side and civil rights organizations, union and worker rights organizations, but also employer management side organizations, uh, industrial psychologists. So it was a, a really fulsome participation and was focused on exploring uh, how to promote recruitment and hiring practices that advance equal employment opportunity for workers from racial and ethnic minorities. We're still in the planning. Uh, yeah, so it was extensive. Um, we're still in the planning process for future roundtables. And we'd love to hear from stakeholders on, on, on others. But I have some ideas for future roundtables that I'd love to see. Workers with disabilities, for example, older workers, female workers, caregiver employees. And I think it'd be really interesting also to have a, a roundtable specifically on socioeconomic and educational diversity so that we uh, capture workers from lower social economic backgrounds, first-generation college, first-generation professional, workers with college degrees. So I'm hoping that that, that would also be a separate roundtable. Wow. So if you're a listener, usually when I have these great conversations, whether uh, over a podcast or in person, always give you a little homework. And, and I think you have your first assignment from Commissioner Lucas. If there is a roundtable you think EEOC should be uh, considering, please let us know, uh, sending your, your, your notes to us and, and let us know this is something of interest. And I'd also encourage, we'd love to hear from, from you all directly. We have specific email addresses that you can send in resources, research ideas, or requests for, for roundtables or, or other input. And those are hire-initiative at eeoc.gov and hire-initiative at dol.gov. So uh, we'd really welcome people sending in information to those as well. And you're also welcome to contact my office or the offices of any of my fellow commissioners to set up a call or meeting to share feedback. We really are always open to that as well. These commissioners, this, this current group of commissioners, I just have to say, you are, are so accessible. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking about the last time you visited our headquarters in Alexandria, and we just had this really great conversation about what ultimately be today's discussion, but we talked about so much. And I just want to say to those listening, they mean it. All five of them, truly accessible. It's why that some of them flew out to our conference in Vegas. That's why some of them are going to be joining us in D.C. for our event. So I really appreciate that. And so you have ideas. This, this isn't just an ask just to be asking. 
they really do want to hear. So I just want to make sure people know the sincerity behind that. So I'll go on and talk about the diversity, equity, and inclusion. It sounds so straightforward and doable. You know, so much discussion about it now and over the last few years, especially. But what are the legal considerations and risks surrounding voluntary diversity initiatives that employers need to be aware of? And which Sherm um, in 2020 decided to launch our Together Forward at Work initiative, which focused on the experience of Black people in the workplace. And we heard from so many people about initiatives that they were starting that have ultimately led to new products and, and new opportunities for growth. So there's so much goodwill and good intention. We want to make sure people, as, as you've said to me before, we want to make sure that we're making sure that we understand the risks around these voluntary diversity initiatives and make sure that you're aware of them so that whatever you're doing, you don't run afoul of anything that's of the law. I think you're right, Emily. There is so much uh, interest and a lot of well-meaning intent in implementing voluntary diversity initiatives and being really creative here. And they can be really valuable, but it's so important that they have a legal lens on them to make sure that you're actually doing something that's both effective and compliant with our equal opportunity laws. Just sort of like a preface, we're undoubtedly in the middle of a national conversation about civil rights, and those issues are really important and can't be ignored. And there's also obviously a significant impact that the pandemic has had on many workers and businesses particularly those that are most vulnerable. But in the rush to right injustices, we need to refuse to accept that the solution is to engage in more discriminatory policies and practices because those policies aren't going to actually help anything. They're going to further damage our policies. So the EEOC's mission, and I think this is what employers should share too, is to advance equal opportunity in the workplace, not put our finger on the scale to force equitable outcomes. And so it's important not to jump straight to quick fixes, which sometimes can come in the form of a quota, or um, there's been a lot of discussion about if there, is there a right kind of discrimination, so-called anti-racist discrimination. And um, sort of as like a very foundational point, quotas based on race, sex, or other protected characteristics are still illegal in almost every context. Now, federal contractors may have some affirmative action requirements, but for most people, that isn't actually the state of the law. No matter the grave impacts that the pandemic has wrought, no matter historic injustices, you can't apply that as sort of a blanket rule. Um, and I think that's a common misunderstanding that a lot of people have when they're going into structuring uh, a DEI program. So I think first, what are the proper goals that a DEI program should be? They first, they shouldn't be window dressing and they shouldn't be virtue signaling. They should be to have robust equal opportunity. And the second goal should be to have a healthy, thriving work environment. So any DEI initiative has to drive towards those goals. And then second, it's important to address a few big picture misunderstandings about legal obligations and risks. I previewed some of them in my sort of initial preface. First, Title VII mandates equal opportunity, not diversity, not equity. And then second, the proper definition of discrimination, that again, in the conversation about many of the issues we're having, there's been some push for different definitions of racism. Some of them might include racism equals prejudice combined with social and institutional power. If you adopt that, 
then you're going to conclude that discrimination can only occur against certain historically underrepresented or oppressed groups and can't be promulgated by those groups. And hence, you might get a reference to, quote unquote, reverse discrimination. But Title VII, the plain text of the law, protects against discrimination on the basis of any protected characteristic, regardless of the respective races or genders of the complainant or the accused bad actor. So um, you've got to make sure you have the right definition of discrimination. And that's important because, you know, the EUC has a long record of bringing race discrimination cases regardless of the race of the charging party or the bad actor. That's going to include situations where you have discrimination where both the charging party and the bad actor are ethnic minorities. It might include things that someone might characterize as reverse discrimination. So making sure that you're watching for that um, will allow you to make sure that you're prohibiting discrimination on any protected basis in your diversity initiatives, uh, not running afoul of uh, by having too narrow a lens on that. So, you know, we have a number of practitioners who are listening to this. And so if you've got a practitioner who wants to develop and reach a more diverse applicant pool, what's the most or number one piece of advice that you'd give that company as they're beginning to embark on that effort? Yeah, I would say that uh, efforts to uh, expand your applicant pool are generally some of the safest voluntary diversity initiatives that you can do in terms of likelihood of running afoul of, of, of legal risk. That's all about equal opportunity, broadening your candidate pool. As long as your end goal is you want to broaden your candidate pool because you want everyone to truly have robust equal opportunity and to not just be picking and choosing, having a really parochial or like old boys club about who you've normally gone for, then the goal isn't to put your thumb on the scale for any particular person, but it's to even the playing field, have a really broad pool. So that can include making sure that you're not – Ignoring untapped talent, like you said, uh, don't uh, put in barriers that actually aren't tied to the work uh, that you're looking for. So, for example, um, so and this came up in the first higher roundtable. Uh, if you've got a college degree requirement, that might not actually be tied to what you really need for your job. It's certainly going to be in some positions, but in others, it isn't. And as soon as you put in that unnecessary barrier you might be really narrowing your candidate pool. And it's going to often have disproportionate impact on certain groups, including sometimes ethnic minorities. But it has nothing to do with uh, the job that you're doing. And by removing it, you're suddenly going to widen your candidate pool. The same thing could be true for not having a policy of saying that anyone who has a six-month gap or longer in the resume or has a period of part-time work is automatically going to be screened out by your software or just in terms of when you're looking at candidates. Um, if you remove that kind of, of requirement, then you're going to automatically expand your candidate pool. You're going to pull in more people who maybe they were laid off during the pandemic. Maybe they're caregivers, whether they're women or, or other caregivers who have taken a period of leave. Employees with disabilities who may have gone on part-time work, lost their work during the pandemic, or just had periods of time off. So, you know, it's, it's a hiring practice. It's also a voluntary diversity initiative to some degree, but it, it's also just actually straightforward compliance with the laws. If you've had an unnecessary barrier in the requirements you have for advertising for a job, you're arguably like 
breaking the law, not going forward and going above and beyond what we might need to do. You're just not hitting the bare minimum. Um, job requirements have to be tailored to the job you actually have. Absolutely. And there's so many people wanting to do the right thing. You just got to pay attention to what you're doing and making sure that you're not putting up these unnecessary barriers. We hear our CEO talk so much about being considerate when you put in that uh, requirement for a college degree. Is that necessary? And then even, you're right, people who've been out of the workforce for some period of time, raising children, caring for a loved one, you know, not putting that and using that as a barrier for them in the higher process as well. Well, sort of relatedly, in terms of a big picture of how to ensure that you're likely to structure your DEI program to minimize legal risk, there's sort of like a big picture structure issue, regardless of any particular item or initiative that you do. And, and that's don't outsource your DEI exclusively to external groups, contractors, or organizations. And even if you have an in-house diversity division or personnel, make sure they're really well integrated and work in tandem with in-house counsel and HR functions. Because diversity shouldn't just be isolated and segmented. It shouldn't operate in a vacuum or without oversight, especially legal oversight, because there's risks in two directions if you do that. One, your diversity initiative might be totally ineffective. It might lack leadership support and buy-in, and it might not have sustained implementation. And on the other hand, if you also have the risk that it not only may not result in positive change, you actually might make things worse and you could result in legal liability. So you really need to have an integrated diversity effort. Um, You need HR oversight. You need legal oversight. It shouldn't just be sort of a standalone, non-reviewed segment of, of of your workforce. And in general, I would recommend that the company's attorneys review any and all diversity initiatives, trainings, and programmings. That's just really important. You're more likely to have both effective and legally compliant diversity initiatives if you do that. Wow, Commissioner, that was such a gem because I know HR professionals are like clapping in their seats right now in terms of, and others who understand the importance of the E&I work and that they shouldn't do it alone, that it is a joint effort internally in the organization. And that's when it works best when so many people, including the leader of that organization, are engaged in these efforts. So that's, that was, to me, that's just the jewel. And I hope that others see the value in that particular way to manage a deep nine. I will say for our small business owners, we have many, as you know, the majority of businesses in this country are small and medium-sized. For our very small enterprises, any special recommendations for them? Because they may not have in-house legal, they may not even have a particular person who's um, assigned to DE&I. Any advice for them? That's a great point. I would say that if you're doing a particularly novel diversity initiative, it could be important to consult with an outside lawyer if you don't have an in, inside dedicated lawyer for your company. And I recognize that that's going to be an expense, but you want to make sure that, again, diversity programming is accorded the appropriate weight, right? That it can both do good or harm, and um, you want to make sure it's actually effective and legally compliant. So that it, there might be value in retaining an attorney to review that. I would also suggest that um, we have a great small business resource on our website about all of the laws that we implement. Uh, it's a whole small business center, so you can check out the EUC's website for those kinds of resources and guidance. And my final sort of suggestion is. Take some serious pause before you jump too fast 
to just circulating links to third-party sources. And that's something that's true for both small businesses and large businesses. Small businesses might be doing it because they think that it could kind of cut costs um, and they don't actually review necessarily all of the aggregated links. Big businesses might think that it's not as important or this is a way to have volume of diversity-related signaling. But in, in each case, whether you're a small or large business, regardless of why you're doing that, keep in mind that anything you circulate can be imputed to you to some degree. Um, it can have impacts on the work environment. It can be um, deemed that you've condoned it. So uh, just because it's a, a link in an email, just because it's uh, on LinkedIn learning, for example, uh, something outside of you, if, if you've provided direct access to it, you could end up incurring either legal or reputational risk because of that. Wow. So, you know, the thing with these podcasts, they're much shorter than the time I usually have to talk with my guests. And so, first of all, I want to say thank you again, Commissioner. Um, this has been a great discussion, but there's so much more we can talk about. And so what I'll say is we'll continue uh, just so the EEOC has resources. Sherman works very hard to make sure we have resources for all size entities that could help you in your work on making a more diverse workforce and, and making sure that you have an equitable workplace as well. So I encourage you to do that. But I also uh, want you to know, as we continue to update information on our Together Forward at Work site, that I am hoping to convince the commissioner to do a blog or an article that we can have on this particular issue, because there are just tons of, of, of jewels that she talked about today that I think really can help you stay on the right side of the law and do the right thing. And that's what we want everyone to do. So any last words, Commissioner? Uh, well, I'd, I'd love to do that. And there's, there's so much more to be said on on this topic. I would just say that, um, you know, I, I do think that having really integrated HR, business, legal, and diversity is the best way to ensure that you have legally compliant efforts because, you know, we want there to be like true inclusion and inclusion is only inclusion if you're including everyone. So, you want to make sure that everything you do really packs a punch in the right direction. And uh, the EOC is here to is here to help on, on that. Well, you heard it. Inclusion is only inclusion if you're including everyone. Thank you so much, Commissioner Lucas. It's been a pleasure to hear you today and speak with you. And uh, look for more from Commissioner Lucas on this important topic. Thank you. <laughs>